Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I speak to author Kaysen Callender. Kaysen was born and raised in St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgin Islands. They are the award-winning author of the middle-grade novels Hurricane Child and King and the Dragonflies, the young adult novels This is Kind of an Epic Love Story and Felix Ever After, and the adult novel Queen of the Conquered. Kaysen is doing a fantastic job of not only contributing to the greater conversation that we're having in the world about intersectionality, representation, visibility, allyship within the LGBTQ plus community, and around other groups within the world, but they are also providing resources and books for our kids and our kids' kids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And they are really approaching it from a standpoint of books that they wish they had when they were younger. It's a fantastic interview. I'm really excited to dig into it. Uh, Please go pick up a copy of any of their books, specifically Felix Ever After. I'm in love with the book, but check it out. I'll be right back with Kaysen after this. Welcome back to Detox Podcast. With me at this time is a phenomenal author. Uh, their name is Kaysen Callender. Kaysen, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm super excited to have you on the show. You are a fantastic novelist. Uh, I've got a copy of Felix Ever After in my hand. It is absolutely delightful. And there's a lot of great stuff that you're doing in the world of literature. And we're going to dig into that for sure. Um, But I would really love if you could uh, give us a little bit of like a five second intro about yourself. And we're going to dig into a lot of different aspects of your uh, perspectives on life and literature and whatever. But if you could kind of give uh, like a few five second elevator pitch bio on you if you don't mind sure so i'm Kaysen calendar and i am originally from saint thomas of the u.s virgin islands and i write for primarily children um i have middle grade ya and a couple of adult novels out and i absolutely love that your novels are all about empowering the characters in the book but really empowering the readers to be their full and authentic selves like that is something that really resonates with me. I absolutely love it. Um, Yeah, you're welcome. And that actually kind of takes us into today's sponsor. So today's sponsor is Snuffy, which is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. And 10% of profits go to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. So shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. And uh, it is owned and operated by Nick Silvestri, who's a dear, dear friend of mine and of the podcast. He did the Detox logos, the regular one and the Pride Month one. So if you like those, if you like his work, go support it because it's all for a good cause. Snuffy.co. So there we go. And Kaysen, something I really want to uh, start out with um, that I'd really love to know is what got you into... Uh, writing, just some kind of basic background, because I know that there's a, the uh, authors approach the craft and, and uh, approach writing in different ways. So I'd really love to know your perspective on how you first started writing and then really got your uh, first novel published a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, so for me, I know that a lot of people tend to turn their um, 
noses up at fan fiction, but for me, fan fiction was so um, important for my journey because, uh, you know, when I was younger, maybe like 10 or so, I was actually kind of raised to be um, homophobic. I think a lot of people are just the way society sure. kind of like teaches us to just automatically hate queer people. And at 10 years old, I didn't really know what I was thinking. I was just like, sure, right, right. this is how I was raised. And right. I was reading um, Gundam Wing fan fiction and I for the first time saw two queer characters um in love with each other it was like uh, Katra and Troa um yeah I didn't really understand what I was reading but that was the first time that I saw two queer people um and then when I finally understood that they were in love with each other I could see that they weren't doing anything evil and I think that that mm. really first of all like changed my entire perspective on queerness so thanks to fan fiction it was also because of fan fiction that I started to write, like I was writing um, She Who Must Not Be Named at this point, fan fiction for quite a while. Unfortunately, you know, now everyone knows that JK Rowling is a horrible turf, but that was like the first, um, like writing Harry Potter fan fiction was really what got me into writing in the first place and writing like other sure. anime fan fiction. Um, and that was so I think that fan fiction is super important for a lot of marginalized people, especially queer people, because before right now we're getting to see ourselves a lot more in this mainstream way, but that was like the way that we were kind of seeing ourselves before. We were putting ourselves directly into stories as like queer people of color and um queer trans people of color. So uh I feel like that's uh what really got me super invested in writing. And it was like someone's review for something that I'd written where someone said this could be its own original story. And I think that that just kind of stuck in my head for a very long time. And then when I went to college, um, finally decided to try my hand at writing my own original stuff. I absolutely love that. And I, and I think, you know, it's so true in that um, you need to practice a craft in order to, to get good at. And so I love the, the, the background of writing fan fiction and, and, and really putting representation into these stories where it previously had not been uh, in existence. And in fact, your stories are all, uh, what I love about it is there's so much uh, queer representation within your book, as specifically um, queer folks of color representation within the books because um i think there is a, a lack of it quite a bit across the world of literature and you need a lot of representation in a lot of different ways for everybody to feel that um this is just like me you know i can think of stories that i grew up with and i identified with the white male protagonist because i went okay this is this is me this is who i am or who i want to be or who i want to grow up to be or whatever but it's it's part of my privilege that I didn't think about the fact that there's a lack of representation across the spectrum, and so I, I love that you are you are laying this good foundation for my kids and other kids who are going to grow up reading this literature. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. So I would love for you to walk me through um, specifically the uh, Hurricane Child book that you wrote back in 2018 about the um, Hurricane Katrina. So I would love for you to kind of talk us through where the origins of that came from and then um, what was the reception right after it was released. Okay. Um, so, well, Hurricane Child is a real term. It's um, a term for anyone who was born like within or a few days within a 
hurricanes. And I'm a hurricane okay. child because I was born um, two days after Hurricane Hugo, which was oh, wow. one of the more devastating hurricanes that came through the Virgin Islands before right. Hurricanes Irma and Maria. Yeah. Um, and kind of like a little bit of a tangent, but Hurricane um, Child actually came out like around the time of those two devastating hurricanes. Um, and like the Virgin Islands hadn't seen such, well, had never seen such devastating hurricanes, period. Like they're the strongest sure. hurricanes um, in our history at this point. But also like we were kind of caught unawares or I wasn't living there at the time my family was, but just completely caught um, by surprise because it'd been like 10 plus years, I think at that point, since we had like a Hurricane Hugo um, strength type storm so it was just kind of like you know it was almost like hurricane when hurricane child came out i was super excited but i was also grieving because it was literally about a topic that was causing me and my community so much pain so um it was like this right. kind of duality of like i'm really excited that this book has come out but it's also very painful um and hurricane child also kind of like came out of a lot of my own pain because it is you know, the idea of being a hurricane child is that you are unlucky and like bad fortune follows you wherever you go, which is something that Caroline, the main character, is afraid of being a hurricane child herself. And she feels like she is kind of like followed by this misfortune. Um, and that's how I felt growing up also, where I felt very kind of like isolated and very um, bullied in the same way that Caroline did. Um, and of course, like, you know, I figured out my gender identity after leaving St. Thomas, but I myself was very uncertain about like, you know, my identity. I didn't really understand I was queer yet. I just knew that I was different. And um, I wanted right. to write for specifically the past me who really needed that book and really needed to see myself on the page in this way to kind of like help me understand sooner that I was queer. Like I really wish I'd had a book like that to kind of like help me figure out this is why you feel like you're different. You know, you're not really right. that different, but you might be the only queer person in your class, but you know, right. this is kind of yeah. like help myself understand. Yeah, so yeah. that's why I wanted to, to write Hurricane Child. And I also wanted to um, write Hurricane Child for any like queer Caribbean person because it is like, you know, there's anti-queerness in many cultures. Um, for Caribbean culture, it feels like so incredibly prevalent in so many different, um, ways in so many different facets because you know anti-queerness is so deeply entrenched in colonization and the caribbean's yeah. history is extra colonized <laughs> like we're literally right. the u.s virgin islands is literally still considered like quote unquote territory of the united states and people there the citizens don't have the right to vote and like all these right. other kind of like issues so i wanted to write for queer caribbean people also because we really haven't gotten to see ourselves in that way yeah, I really, really love, there's a couple different things you touched on in there that I want to circle back on. But one of the things that I absolutely loved is you wrote that, or you, you mentioned that you wrote the book for uh, young Kaysen, right? So you wrote the book with a mindset of, this is what I wish I had when I was a kid. And, and truthfully, I mean, that's the goal of what I'm doing with the podcast is like, I wish I had this type of resource when I was younger. I wish I had this type of resource when I was brand new into, into adulthood or parenthood. I just wish I had these perspectives um, that I'm not used to getting. Um, you know, I just, um, 
I feel like there's a lot there and I hear a lot of authors and a lot of creators talk about the creating videos or content or books for the child that they were because they wish that they had had it. I absolutely love it. And I would love to know um, what has been some of the responses that you've gotten personally from readers of Hurricane Child specifically or any other book that you've gotten that's really resonated with you? Oh, I've gotten so many beautiful responses. Um, for Hurricane Child specifically, there was actually like a person um, who I'd known growing up. We weren't like necessarily friends, but they were maybe like a few grades um, above me and they were like my brother's friend. And yeah. uh, I feel like it's always just been like, if you're in the Caribbean, you, don't, you just don't come out. And you know, there's no pressure. I, I don't want to pressure. I don't want to add to anyone's pressure of feeling like you have to come out. I'm actually like huge on just make sure you feel safe and tell right. people that you trust. But um, it's just like really hard to come out there because it's so difficult to know who to trust. Um, but this person, uh, you know, years later, haven't seen them in so long. They actually like reached out to me and said, um, thank you so much for writing Hurricane Child because I myself really struggled a lot with being queer. It was just a moment of like connection where, you know, I'd never really um, spoken to, to them that much before. It was just interesting that we both struggled with like a similar story, but it was it took like this book for them to kind of like reach out to say, you know, like I understand everything that you went through. Right. Um, and I think besides that, the more powerful um, responses, definitely like a lot of beautiful um, responses of like people saying I really needed the story when I was younger, but I yeah. think for um, Felix Ever After, there have been like really extraordinary responses of people just kind of like discussing um, or just kind of like sharing their story with me about their own uh, journey to figuring out their gender identity. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up Felix Ever After because the there's so much um, intersectionality within, within the protagonist specifically. I mean, we talk about like... Um, uh, what was it? He, uh, I'm looking in here for the descriptor. Oh, yes. Um, Felix secretly fears there's one marginalization too many, black, queer, and transgender to ever get his own happily ever after. And I'm like, that's that's not, like, I'm, I'm so used to picking up books or seeing books or being recommended books that are one of those three, but not all of them <laughs> together. And, and I love the, because something that I'm hyper aware of right now and working on um, both at work and personally is the fact that is communicating the fact that we all have such very um, uh, layers to us. There's so many intersections at play, whether you're, you know, whether you're a man, woman, non-binary, um, cisgender, transgender, there's, there's a lot, whether, are you a parent? Are you not a parent? Uh, are you queer? Are you, um, heterosexual? What, there's a lot there. And I think by not putting people in boxes because we're not boxable, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, by allowing people to really own the uniqueness of themselves is what allows people to feel that they can really bring their full authentic selves to the day every single time they wake up. And I think by telling people, no, you've got to be one or the other, whether well-intentioned or not, it does a lot of damage. And so I just, it was so 
inspiring and empowering and beautiful to pick up the book and read that in the descriptor. I just, I love it. And I love hearing that people are reaching out and talking about that they, that this book is helping them with their gender identity and their, uh, where they're at in their journey. I just, it's so beautiful. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Um, I really would like to know uh, from you about what has been coming from, you know, you talked about the Caribbean and, and I would really like to get your perspective on growing up within the U S Virgin islands. And, you know, as you touched on and talked about the fact that the U S Virgin islands um, are an American territory, they're not, the citizens are not allowed to vote. There's, there's a lot there. And so I would love for you to really talk to us uh, for those who may not be familiar with the U S Virgin islands about what um, what life was like growing up there, what it's currently at. I mean, I, it feels a lot of times that we don't hear about these countries, territories, places. Um, they're more of an afterthought and they shouldn't be. And so I want to, I would really love for you to kind of speak to what your experience was like there. Sure. I mean, afterthought is the perfect way to describe it because yeah. um, I remember growing up we would always like check the news, like check the weather. Okay, there's a hurricane out um, in the Atlantic coming off the African coast is like a storm. It's probably going to hit. And the news always immediately says, here's when it's expected to hit Florida. And we have to be like, okay, it's hitting Florida in three days. That means it's going to hit us in like one day, like trying to, you know, it's just like they don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's still happening. Like the Sahara dust cloud, we deal with the Sahara dust cloud. Um, pretty much every year, but this year it was like huge. It was really um, kind of like the biggest it's been in a while. Um, yeah. And even then my mom was still like, okay, so the Sahara dust cloud, they only care that it's going to hit Florida in four days. So I'm trying to figure out when it's going to hit us. Like I'm trying to look at the map and see when it's going to take cross over us in the radar. And it really, they really just, you know, it's like, it, it's kind of painful because there are so many discussions rightfully about um, Puerto Rico as there should be. Um, right. Puerto Rico is also um, colonized in a similar way. Uh, but like with the hurricanes, for example, we were hit by Irma and that was devastating. And then we were hit by an equally devastating um, hurricane a week later, Maria. And people were still reeling. People were just like, okay, God, take us now. Like, what do you want us right. to do? Our roofs are already gone. The island is already ruined. Right. Um, Maria brought even more flooding. And it was very painful to see people only talk about how Maria has devastated Puerto Rico. And I think it was like Rachel Maddow or something that um, was like the, one of the first people to acknowledge, hey, there is like another uh, population here that is American and we're all ignoring. And I broke down crying even yeah. just saying that, just to be like, yes, thank you for acknowledging us. Um, and I think that's a part of the colonization because it's so beautiful there. And I think even when I was growing up, I just completely took that for granted. I was like, ah, I can't wait to get off of this island. Um, I need to get to the big city. I, you know, I have all these big dreams. Like I, I couldn't wait to get to New York City. Um, but it's like the only uh, worth that we had was just in the beauty of the islands, not the people. Um, and there's definitely, of course, like racism involved in that, even with like discussion versus like Puerto Rico versus the Virgin Islands and whether people were willing to pay attention or not. There's definitely racism there in terms of, um, you know, like the Virgin Islands are majority black and 
there's like white Puerto Rican um, majority, I think, for Puerto Rico. So I think people are willing right. to pay more attention to uh, Puerto Rico. There are more people there. I'll, I'll, I'll put that, I'll say that that is important to note as well. But that doesn't mean like completely ignore um, this other territory, these other people for like St. Thomas, St. John, St. Croix, Water Island, it's like majority black. So I think because of that, people are more willing to just kind of like say, we don't care or not even notice that they don't care if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh my goodness. It's it's all so layered, I think is the best way to say it. And you've got, I mean, we're seeing in America right now where that, I mean, I was having this conversation with um, Nicole Payson of coming out with Lauren and Nicole podcast um, last week. And, and we were talking about how it's not that this type of, how do we put it? It was, it, it's not that this type of discrimination and police brutality and everything is new. It's absolutely not. It's very obvious how long it's been going on. Um, I think New York Times Panel podcast 1619, um, which is, traces those origins back, right? And so, so it's not that it's new, and it's not even that the Black Lives Matter movement is new, because even that has been around for several years now. It's just that people are finally just looking and listening and understanding and deciding, hey, I think we need to stop being passive about this and actually like try and 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 help. And so you're seeing you're seeing some action actually start to to take hold. And so it does feel a little unprecedented with the type of reaction you're seeing on a on a wider scale. But that is not to say that that great, we've solved we've solved it. We're good. Um, because there's so much um, systemic racism built in and by, you know, I, I, there's just, there's a lot. So, so my point with that is to say within the layers, within the United, the, the continental United States, you still have these types of issues in U.S. Virgin Islands as an example, but people aren't talking about it and people aren't thinking about it and people aren't progressing the conversation in ways that we need to. And that's what, that's, what's crazy to me is that it's afterthought is, yeah, is the only word I can describe it. And it's, it's a, it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. So, so talk, walk me through, um, you know, I, I think, I feel like every four years and there's an election cycle, it comes up about Puerto Rico should be added as a state because they should have the right to vote. And then that it like full stop, the conversation ends right there. And so what did, what would it even mean? And this isn't a political podcast, but what would it even mean for U.S. Virgin Islands to get statehood? Is that something that um, you feel the vast majority of, of the citizens want? Does, do you feel that it's, um, you know, something like independent uh, countryness? Uh, I don't know what the right phrase there is, but like what, what do you see as a, as a better way forward for U.S. Virgin Islands? You know, I don't want to speak for all of the islands because I know that sure. um, this is actually like a pretty uh, controversial topic. A lot of people um, have very differing opinions on that. There are some who really want to stay a territory because if we were to become a state, it would likely be because um, Puerto Rico is being made a state. But then because Puerto Rico has more people, it would actually become um, 
difficult for the Virgin Islands when it comes to voting because we'd probably be always outvoted with Puerto Rico attached to us. So um, it's actually a lot of people would rather sure. stay a territory. Um, but on the other end, you have people who are saying, no, we should have the right to vote, of course. We should be um, voted, we should be counted as full citizens. And then you have others who um, actually do want to become completely independent countries and are call, have been calling for that. Um, and, you know, people have been going on like food strikes for the right to vote for like, you know, decades, like, you know. Um, so it really is, of course, like a really uh, important topic and, and the people have very strong differing opinions on it. Um, sure. I, I don't think it's as easy as saying, like, I think that we should be a, a separate nation, we should be our own country, because we, so much has been sucked from us and taken from sure. us, that um, it would be difficult to, you know, maybe if we had reparations, <laughs> maybe yeah, if we yeah. were given, like, you know, still waiting for Haiti to get their money back from France, you know. Seriously. If, you know, maybe if we were given our, the right um, foundation that we deserve, then potentially. Eventually, we could have our own um, economy based on agriculture and based on tourism. But as is now, we're just, we're so, we've been like sucked so dry that we depend so heavily on, on the United States. And it's difficult to say that we would, um, we should get the right to vote because if we do, it would likely be, like I was saying, connected to Puerto Rico and we wouldn't, our, like the citizens would probably be outvoted on a lot of different issues anyway. So it's, it's so complicated. Right. It is so uh, so difficult, and I think it's just it's a difficult conversation and a discussion to navigate. And and one thing that I that I do kind of want to pivot back to, um, speaking of difficult things to navigate, is um, high school. And and I would love um, what I love about your book Felix Ever After. We're talking about how you know one of the things I, I just have to say that. What it took me back to a place that I've not been at when I've been reading books for a long time, and I absolutely loved it. It made me feel that that type of adrenaline rush of of do they like me? Um, are they gonna message me back? Are we gonna talk now? Are we gonna stay up all night chatting? Like this whole like back and forth, and and I absolutely loved it. And what what I loved even more is I feel like it's a perfect representation of the time we're in now, meaning the folks who are in middle school and high school right now. Um, I do, you know, um, some knowing some um, diversity and inclusion statistics about how um, the quote unquote Gen Z knows, I believe it was, um, oh, I'm going to get the stats wrong, so I won't even quote it, but an overwhelming majority of Gen Z, I want to say it was more than like one out of 10. It was like six out of 10, um, either knew somebody who was trans or was themselves trans or non-binary and, and also of color. And so there's this, um, real, um, this generation is very committed to wanting to live their full authentic selves and to, and to be recognized for that. Right. So it's not just, I want to be myself and I don't care what you say, which part of it is there, but it's more of, I'm going to live my authentic self and I want you to look at me and recognize who I am and, and how I'm identifying because that is who I am. I don't want you to ignore me. I don't want you to write me off. I want you to accept me for who I am and accept every, you know, every single one of us for who we are because we are living our truth 
and you're not letting us for one reason or the other. And, and so I really feel like the book was a perfect representation of the society we're in now. And I, and I even, I'm having these conversations as well because, you know, my kids are going to be in the next generation. And I'm just like, I think, you know, we're, <laughs> we got a lot of work to do to help the, the generation Gen Z, the next generation, the next generation. So that way everybody is living their truth. And I, I really would love to know, um, some, uh, so I got a little rambly there cause I, I am so impressed by you as an author and your writing and the impact that I can see you're already having and that you're going to continue to have. And that's, what's just incredible to me. Cause I think it's something where I'm also working on living my truth a hundred percent and it, it can be difficult from time to time. And so I would really love to know what, um, if you're uh, comfortable sharing, what personal aspects of yourself did you put into Felix Ever After or did you? Oh, for sure. Definitely my identity um, as a black and queer and trans person, but even uh, beyond the identity, um, the questioning, I think was an important part for me. You know, Felix yeah. came out as um, a binary trans guy and, uh, but even so started to kind of think like sometimes I just, even that doesn't feel right. Like he knows that he wasn't the uh, gender that he was assigned at birth, but he right. knows that he's still, there's still something more. And I feel like that's something that I also struggled with when I came out initially as um, non-binary, there were still some moments where I, I would wake up and feel more like a binary guy. Uh, and I feel right. like there just hasn't been, I feel like uh, queer literature and media um, is all in conversation with each other. So the initial need for the um, kind of like, I'm going to say level one, like coming out stories. Uh, I, you know, I think that we have kind of like evolved a little bit more um, past sure. that into conversations about what it's actually like to be queer. And right. those coming out stories are still going to be important for a very long time. I don't mean to dismiss them because unfortunately that is still something that a lot of young people uh, have to struggle with because they're, we're still not completely accepted as we should be. But um, I think the kind of like level two conversation, our conversations like, okay, I came out as queer and I came out as like trans, but um, I'm still questioning like some aspects of my identity. And I kind of wanted to uh, validate that experience because I myself, as I was saying, was questioning and it took some uh, research to come across the term demiboy which really fully, completely expressed who I am. And I want, I'd never seen that term before. Right. Uh, so I decided to put it in the book because I, first of all, wanted to see myself. And I also wanted uh, to potentially help someone else with their own questions about gender identity. I love that. And I think it's so, it's so key to have these, um, phrases and names and the real authentic um, journey of of one's own gender identity and and their authentic self I think I absolutely agree with you and that the actual like the coming out stories are very key but but the the ongoing journey of who am I what is my full self let me try this let me work on this let me have this conversation and this thought is what really resonates and that's I mean that's truthfully how we all are right i mean we're all 
thinking through these things all the time about who we are in this world and who we are to ourselves. And by putting in the all of it, all of the the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts and really working through, you're able to see a lot of not just character growth, but personal growth reflected um, in the characters. I absolutely love that. I wanted to know, have you ended up changing something in one of your books um, based on either a reflection of how you felt it came across or perhaps from uh, early input from someone who may have um, read it ahead of time? I would love to get your perspective on that. Sure. Um, you know, actually, the first thing that came to mind was with Felix Ever After. I did have another reader, another trans reader, um, take a look because I didn't want to, because there's always just a chance of internalized transphobia. And sure. it's always helpful to have, even if that is my identity, to have someone take a look and give me their perspective. Um, and basically, their perspective is you're old. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what it's like for younger trans people these days. Um, and that was like, oh, my God, such a wake up call. <laughs> because throughout the entire book, initially, um, originally, Felix was like, I feel like a trans, uh, trans, non, uh, trans binary guy. Um, but I don't know what this other feeling is. And I don't know like what are um, these kind of like non-binary feelings. And the person was like, you know, Gen Z is so much, and it, it's true, I, I know this for a fact and I don't know why I didn't think of it as I was writing, but Gen Z just has so much more access to language than I did when I was younger. That yeah. and they, they know what trans and non-binary means. I didn't know that until like I was 25. So right. yeah. I think it, it turned into more of like a Felix has access to this information but now he has to figure out what he's going to do with that information. And I think that his yeah. original um, journey reflected my own journey a lot more where I did not have that information. And I was very confused. I wasn't sure what these feelings were, but now I had to kind of like take that and say, okay, he knows what non-binary is. He knows what they, them pronouns are. Originally he was kind of like, oh, they, them pronouns. I've heard of it vaguely. And now he's like, obviously it's a duh. Everyone knows what that is. Um, and just kind of like figure out what to do with that information, how it relates to him and his own identity. Right. I absolutely love that. And I love how you <laughs> talked about and said that the, um, the, the person who read it was like, you're old. Um, we don't, <laughs> we don't talk like this. Like the, the kids today don't talk like this. <laughs> yeah. That's the hard part about being a YA author is just, uh, yeah, you have to figure, you have to come to terms with the fact you're kind of old at this point. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's fantastic. I want to know as well from you, what has it been like uh, kind of shifting back and forth between uh, YA and uh, was it the Queen of the, the Damned was a, um, f I, I apologize, I don't that's know what the, the phrase is. Oh, no, it's okay. That's okay. Um, Queen of the Damned was the Anne Rice novel, though, so I think that that's a cool... Um, oh, oh yeah. I was like, why does this, why does this name sound so familiar? I was trying to find my notes yeah. and I was like, this, this is a popular novel, but I'm not, uh, um, Queen of the Conquered. There it is. Yeah. The... <laughs> I'm just going to call you Anne a lot, So I was just going to, yeah, I, I would accept that. Okay. Um, so it's but, been, yeah, oh, you're going to say like forth. the, 
Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just saying I would really love to know your perspective jumping back and forth between uh, full novelization such as – or not full, but a novelization, I guess, uh, uh, between Queen of the Conquered and a YA author. I would love to know, like, what that mindset was like for you. Yeah. Um, I think that I basically approach each age range differently. And I know a lot of different authors who write for both, like, middle grade and YA and for adults have their own uh, methods and how they see the, the books differently. But for me, it all comes down to um, levels of hope. Uh, and I think that for me, like middle grade has to be extremely hopeful in terms of like the voice is a little bit more earnest. They um, haven't been so hurt by the world just yet because they're younger. So they technically haven't had as much time to see the different ways that the world can hurt them. Um, and I just want to make sure that throughout the story, hope is woven in because when I was younger, I struggled a lot with hopelessness and feelings of like, you know, what's the point of all of this? And I just want to um, kind of like have a constant uh, assurance that there is a point and there is hope. Um, for YA, I think, you know, there is a little bit more of a jaded uh, tone and voice because, you know, for example, um, I think the perfect example actually is like Caroline and Felix where Caroline's mother has left her. And that's like the main yeah. hurt that she has um, endured. She's dealing with like colorism and homophobia, but it's like really her mother leaving as the catalyst for Felix. Um, his mother left him uh, at around the time that Caroline's mother left her. So this is almost like an old hurt that has kind of yeah. like deeply wounded him and it's stay like kind of like festered inside of him. And he's still dealing with racism and he's still doing dealing with transphobia and he has questions right. about his identity. So he just kind of has like a bit more of a sarcastic, like jaded tone than I think like the younger audience would. Um, but I still want to make sure that that ending ends with hope because I don't think that, you know, it's still in the teenage years, personally, I was still dealing with like feelings of hopelessness, but we also just haven't really seen as many hopeful stories for the queer um, and black and, you know, trans uh, narrative. We haven't yeah. really seen those narratives at all honestly but right yeah especially because of that i want to say like yes we're worthy of this happily ever after as well um but with all that said i think uh because you know as an adult i think that i've personally seen that there are cycles to hopelessness and cycles to happiness and joy i feel a little bit more comfortable writing about like the bleakness of the world and sure. the hopelessness of it so Queen of the Concord is really bleak and really hopeless <laughs> and really, like it really, it, it's completely different. I think people sometimes are shocked to read something that like Felix is so joyful and such a celebration and then go to Queen of the Concord, which is about just like everything that's wrong with the world. And there's, it's kind of like, there's little, uh, I purposely very like little air to breathe because that is something I really wanted to explore. Um, right. And I think that for some reason, my fantasies also, I've only written like Queen of the Conquered um, and some other fantasies that just didn't make it into the world. And my fantasy just tends to be like a little heavier and a little like, you know, the world is going to end kind of bleakness to it. And I, that's something yeah. I actually am interested in as a writer, like working on craft wise to figure out how I can bring more joy to those fantasies as well. But I think that that for me is just like the main difference. And 
hopefully if I write like an adult rom-com, it would have a similar joy rather than like this bleakness, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, one last question before we get into the uh, final segment of the show, I wanted to ask you uh, for the, the white parent listeners who I know are listening, um, what are some resources or some uh, advice that you can give them to help raise uh, an inclusive family? Um, I think definitely, I mean, maybe this is a very obvious answer, but continue to let your children read books that are not um, about them and to know that your children are not censored in the world. I think right. that that's the first step of just kind of like this, the, the, one of the biggest problems that I think a lot of um, white Americans are facing right now is just kind of like this sudden um, jarred feeling of, oh, I'm not the censor. I'm not like, I'm not the most important person in this narrative and understanding right. that there are other people in this narrative. Um, and I think reading books featuring main characters who are not of that of their identity is one of the biggest first steps to just kind of like understanding that there are other, like people of color have had to read about white people all, all our lives, you know, that's like, right. yeah. that's nothing new for us, but to kind of like figure out how to have empathy for people who are different than them is I think, so important. Um, so reading about like black and queer and trans people, so for, as far as like resources go, um, my mind just immediately jumps to different online uh, communities. Like We Need Diverse Books, which has like great resources for people of color. Um, and then for queer, queer uh, recommendations, there, there's a website called lgbtqreads.com. Uh, which is a really fantastic resource uh, that just kind of like lists queer books from middle grade to adult by identity, by genre, by audience. It's a wonderful resource. Um, and then there is another resource for trans books um, that was curated by Ray Stove called, I want to say the MG, which stands for middle grade, and YA, which stands for young adult master list of um, okay. trans titles. Yeah. And that also lists just like all these different trans uh, books by own voices, trans authors. I absolutely love it. That is fantastic. We'll make sure and put that in the uh, description so people can go and follow it and educate themselves and learn for sure. I'm making a note here to put it in show notes. There we go. Uh, all right. Well, Kason, thank you so much. We're going to transition to the final segment of the or segue into the final uh, segment of the show. And that is the dad joke of the week. It is a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guest. So it works out. Um, but I do like to put my guest on the spot first and see, uh, Kason, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up? No, I wish I could be <laughs> snappy and funny. I'm not. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I've got a few that I know are grown worthy. So here we go. <clears throat> uh, Kason, what's the best thing about Switzerland? What's the best thing about Switzerland? Uh, well, I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. Flag is a big plus. Uh, not from... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Two I more. All right. Technically laugh. <laughs> All right. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. There's one. Um, Kason, did you hear about the mathematician who's afraid of negative numbers? Mm -hmm. 
he'll uh, he'll stop at nothing to avoid them. He'll stop at nothing because he doesn't want to get to negative numbers. So he'll stop oh, at zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. It was terrible. All right, here we go. Um, uh, last one. <clears throat> Kasem, why do we tell actors to break a leg? I don't know. Why? Uh, because every play has a cast. Every wow. Play. I was like, yeah, that was really bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Casey. That's a good one. I have to say that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You're too kind. You're too kind. So, Casey, if uh, listeners want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, sure. Um, I have my website, Casey Calendar. Uh, my Twitter is also Casey Calendar. And then my Instagram is the same, but there's a period between the two names. So, Casey Calendar. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, we do need a hashtag for this episode. Uh, Kaysen, should we use hashtag Felix Ever After? Sure. Why not? All right. Perfect. Kaysen, thank you again so much for coming on and helping to educate our listeners and really help everybody kind of detox from everything that's going on and get educated on this talk. So really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And listeners, will be back next week with another great episode. But until next time, hashtag Felix Ever After. And hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, Thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.